Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. Today, I'm so excited to introduce uh, two amazing friends of mine, kind of family in a way, through marriage. My sister, Jenny, is married to Sarah's um, uncle and uh, Steve. And so I've had the amazing privilege of knowing Sarah for a lot of years since she was a little girl and seeing her accomplish so much and meeting her amazing um, and handsome and talented husband, Brady, and watching their family grow and all the things they're accomplishing. So Sarah and Brady Davies are here Um, sharing with us a little bit about their entrepreneurial journey in building a very successful and growing business called The Piano Place. And Sarah, maybe we'll start a little bit with you because, I mean, my first memories of you are seeing you concert level piano playing. Um, I remember uh, Jenny telling me, my sister Jenny telling me that you were playing piano at the roof. And if anybody is no Salt Lake City, it's a gorgeous restaurant that overlooks like downtown Salt Lake. And they have this gorgeous grand piano in the middle of the restaurant where remarkable piano players are sitting there playing. I think, Sarah, is it right? You started playing there when you were 16 years old, like just a kid. Is that right? Yes. And I'll I'll start by saying thanks so much for having us because I have always looked up to you from the time that Jenny got married to Steve. I've just always looked up to you. So thanks so much for having us. Um, To answer your question, yes. So I, uh, I heard I had been into the restaurant one time. And I saw the piano. I was like, that is so cool. And I ended up finding out about an audition opportunity from a, a friend that worked there. And so I was I was 15 when I auditioned and I just went in with a binder of music and played for them. And I was so surprised to hear that I had got that job. I'm playing one or two nights a week and the shifts are long. They're like five, six hour shifts. But I would just, I was going to BYU for a lot of that time. And I would just pack a suitcase of music up and take the tracks or the bus or whatever up. And it was a great job. I do. I do miss playing up there. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, you've got to be one of their youngest piano players they've ever hired. I mean, that like these people are usually in their 50s or 60s, had a lifetime of training because they really do get concert level talent in that in that room. So that's so fun. Do you think you were the youngest they've ever had? I know. I know I was one of the youngest and I really I really mean that they threw me a bone. Um, in, in playing there, I got so much better because you can be like a concert level pianist and that still not be your thing, if that makes sense. Like I, you have to be able to play by ear a lot. It's a lot of playing improv. You'll get people coming up and talking to you. So it's learning this art of playing while also having people come and talk to you. So you really have to play memorized a lot of your repertoire, um, So it was just, I remember making little mistakes in the restaurant. I remember being called out by the manager one time and being like, please don't play that song again. And I was like, got it. But I just, I felt so lucky to have that opportunity because I, it's kind of like when you are under pressure, you get good at something. 
And so I feel like through that experience, I was really able to not only like learn confidence, but also to actually hone my skill a little bit as I played hours and hours and hours under pressure. Oh, I love that. That's so incredible. And so tell me a little bit about you too. So how long have you been married? Tell me about your family and and our listeners. I know a little bit about it, but share with us um, how you guys got started in this business and how the piano place was born. And and I would love to hear your guys' entrepreneurial journey. And then also how fun to do it together as a couple. Like that's so oh, yeah. awesome. It is fun. You tell you tell about our family. Yeah. Okay. So I met Sarah, yeah, during those roof years. So I'd I'd come home from an LDS mission and um started going to BYU and we met in a class. And then yeah, I I if I could afford it, I'd go up there as much as I could to hang out with her at the roof. <laughs> But usually I just pick her up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we got married when we get married, 2013. That was a good yeah. test question. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> since then we have we have four kids, um, one on the way actually um, in number, March. Yes. Yeah, number five. So, congratulations! Uh, it's been a fun- Do you know what if it's <laughs> a boy or a girl yet? We're not going to find out. We have two boys and two girls, so we've just decided to keep it a secret, a surprise. Yeah, I'll never even know. Amazing. That's so fun. Yeah. To kind of pick up where you left off. So we got married in 2013. And then in 2015, we had our first whose name is Claire. And I had been teaching piano at the time. And this is kind of how the business all started is we, I had 70 students that were coming in each week for piano lessons, but then I also had a waiting list and it was growing all the time. And So I decided like Claire was born on Halloween and I knew that I had a six week maternity leave basically until Christmas break was over. I guess that was maybe eight weeks until Christmas break was over. And then I had to either basically turn my clientele all away or I had to keep them and figure out how to balance motherhood with all these clients. And so I ended up hiring a friend and we taught these lessons out of my house. And within days, my phone was ringing off the hook of people trying to get in two teachers. Oh my gosh. And so there was a huge demand, it sounds like. And you you realize that. Is it is it's hard to house of the daycare. That's what it was. It was just a revolving door of every kid in the neighborhood. And honestly it was a fun time because I met so many families in our community. But yes, yes, it was it was busy. We ended up moving and renting my parents' basement, hiring more teachers, buying more pianos, and then we found a retail space. I do remember telling Brady because he at the time, he worked in real estate and commercial real estate and he was not involved at the time. And he would just say to me, how are you going to make a thousand dollar like payment, rent payment on that retail building? And I just remember feeling this buzzing demand, knowing it was much bigger than I even knew. I felt I could fell and sense it from our from our community. So Anyway, we ended up making the plunge. We got that real estate and we had to fill the five rooms. We had like figured out how many lessons we had to teach to break even. And within one one semester, like our September to December, we had outgrown the space completely. We had to rent a second space in Draper where we started and we still occupy both those buildings. We went from having five classrooms and and now in Draper, how many? 17. 17, yeah. yeah. So, um, and they're-, they're we, You have 17 like um brick and mortar locations now well oh we have 17 rooms just in draper okay lesson rooms that we expanded into but we actually yeah we have 18 brick and mortar locations today oh my goodness and those have how many rooms 
per per building? I'd say anywhere from nine to seventeen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So so my guess is, uh, Brady, you now are a believer. You're like, <laughs> yeah. when did you leave? Hey, when did you leave your other career and join your wife? What yeah. what point in the company and how did that happen for you? I know it was weird. I kind of had this weird thing where I I'd I'd help Sarah kind of behind the scenes, you know, late at night on the on the business stuff and help her with her bookkeeping and all these things. And at the same time, I was doing uh, real estate brokerage for a commercial firm here in Salt Lake. And so we, you know, I was going out trying to start my own career in that way. But at nights, I'm staying up till midnight helping her. And we were kind of doing the journey together. And, um, you know, she says I, I hesitated. And it was because I had these clients, you know, my first real estate deals that I did I was helping them sign leases in these commercial spaces. And like my first three had all gone out of business in like six months and they were stuck on the hook for the lease and all these things. And so I was terrified. I'm like, Sarah, I don't think we can do this. I don't think we can do this. So I had a different perspective going and I was, I was definitely glass half empty. Uh, I think that's probably flip flopped (laughs) lately, but um, yeah. And so I, I kind of helped behind the scenes. I was kind of always there for the first couple of years. Um, You know, after, after we'd done our two locations in Draper, our second year, we did one in Lehigh. So I helped with the construction and finding the space and getting you know that one started. And then we ended up doing one in what, 2019 um, in South Jordan. Um, and shortly after that, COVID hit. And for me with re- commercial real estate and, you know, people looking to do deals and development, all those things that just died for like six months, you know, there wasn't really much going on. And at the same time, we had, you know, this business with three locations and leases, all these things. And we're like, you know, if, if something's going to die, it can't be piano place because we have too much on the line here. So I ended up jumping in, you know, full, both feet, you know, and, and, and trying to help during COVID to keep things alive and running and, and, um, you know, I think ever since then, I kind of haven't looked back. I've been involved, you know, every single day with everything. And I've kind of, I kind of let the real estate career, um, fizzle a little bit. And, you know, I still, I'm still involved in some little things here and there, but, uh, it's been super rewarding to, to be a part of it. And it's been a lot of fun. What an incredible story. And yeah, I was thinking that I'm like, you guys did this before the pandemic. Um, d- did you guys pivot and do remote? digital training? Like, how did you guys survive that? What a challenge. And what, what did you do to, after you'd opened all this brick and mortar and you had these, you know, rents due, like, how did you guys make that all work? Oh, it was, it was so scary because, scary. you know, it seemed like up until that point, anytime something happened, like it was a snow day, right? We'd always follow the school schedules on everything, right? But it was a snow day. Okay. We'd be closed. All of a sudden we hear of all the schools you know, the, the, the days leading up to it, Hey, we're going to be closed. We're going to be closed this week. We were terrified because we're like, how do we do this? You know? And so I remember going on Amazon and just buying tons of little cell phone tripods, you know, for all of our studios and, and typing up these big, long emails, you know, and, uh, getting everything ready. And we were just kind of just holding our breath, hoping that, you know, doing, we, we allowed people to come in at first and, or do Zoom and people kind of chose between the two and, and fighting out, figuring out how to get digital, you know, books for the, you know, the musicians so the to look at. could reference and the music while exactly. the student was playing because they wouldn't have it in person. So we digitized it was just so our music libraries. Wow. And so foreign. It was like, what is Zoom? You know, we had to teach everyone <laughs> how to use Zoom. And so 
it was it was hard and we were just terrified we're like we're going down like it's not gonna work out but i think what the miracle was of it and and looking back on it i can see kind of more clearly as a parent too is if you know during that time if i was going to cancel anything it would have been my things first i would have canceled my gym passes or my subscriptions or memberships first before i would have done anything to my kids and um for us it was amazing because we actually saw like a lot of growth uh during covid and it was because there was no other activities no yeah. other sports well, we- they had the time finally <laughs> totally. you, know, you always yeah. like, don't have time but there was time then to practice and we we had some amazing parents reach out with just kind of like tearful and grateful messages just saying thank you so much we needed music in our homes during these kind of like trying and scary times and so um that that kind of gave us some fire to just keep going and to keep pushing and it ended up we are so grateful that it ended up being okay and that we made it and we wrote it through it wow yeah. it's it's funny because yeah there were some businesses that afterwards we can go oh of course like a piano teaching group that could be could pivot and do things digitally and remotely would survive and actually thrive because you're right kids couldn't be out playing sports they couldn't play at their friend's house they had more time at home and they had to do things and parents didn't want them just on screens all the time so they were like do something productive so yeah. i thought you had a huge boom and a, and a truly grateful um cohort of parents but like it's interesting because as, as i'm listening to you talk i'm like no one could have foreseen that, right? Like you guys would have been so scared. And I remember at the beginning for my business, I was running a boutique consultancy and that was, um, you know, um, helping people with philanthropy. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm done. My business is toast. Like everything's gone. Like no one's going to be getting yeah. because everyone's going to turn inward and hold their money into yeah. themselves right now. And the economy is just in, in, you know, such a scary place. And it was the opposite. People were more generous than they've ever been. I, my business grew it changed what we were working on. And so it became yeah. education and first responders and, you know, medical equipment and different things. Um, but it, but it definitely was um, really um, like a pleasant surprise of something I wouldn't have guessed that people became more generous, opened up their wallets more, that there was so much more giving at that time. It was really quite stunning. And I, I think, you know, I remember like, Home Depot, like went off the charts, you know, like, and it's like, look at yeah. that, oh you know, I mean, they, yeah, we had the time to DIY that they'd been wanting to do for years. Exactly. Yeah. My friend, the one that surprised me the most was my friend who owns a really high end art collection, you know, company business killed it, like went six times higher than ever. And it's because all these high net worth people were finally home in their, you know, not in their offices in New York and LA and in San Francisco. And they were like, that remodeling and fixing up their homes because they were spending time at home. And so that you would never guess that like high-end art, you know, uh, curators would like kill it during that season. But anyway, it's just fascinating. So I'm so um, thrilled for you guys. And it's such a fun story and it's such a needed service. Like music is such a gift. And, you know, every, most people, if they're not truly musicians and didn't stick with it, probably dabbled in piano lessons. Like basically, like I made all That's my kids do basically piano, learn basic music theory. Some of them, they didn't stick with it or whatever. What is your guys' hack to get parents to, I think Sarah, I've heard you talk about this a little bit online, but to get parents and kids to actually keep going because there is probably, and you guys might know the statistics of like when people fall off and they stop taking piano and what, what are the hurdles to get them to stay with it and practice? And like, what have you guys learned that any of our listeners can you know, utilize whether they become um, customers or clients of your services or just 
anybody nationally, maybe isn't in Utah and can't come to your location, like might learn about like, tell us a little bit about how you help people stick with it. Cause piano is just like the classic, well, I took some piano lessons and dabbled in it for a minute and then it didn't stay with it. Yeah. It's, we've, heard it a million times. And as a parent, I, I'm so grateful for the perspective I have as a parent because I now see how truly hard it is to get our kids to practice when they have all these other options. And what I am trying to do with our business and especially with the parents is two things. One, we want to be providing them with constant education of why music is important. There are so many reasons. Um, I was mentioning earlier to your producer, but I have kind of delved in podcasting because I want to tell these amazing stories of how music changes us. And so we've kind of been doing that, but more so than that, like there's just so much that our kids need to gain from music. And one of the biggest things I've been thinking about lately is just like instant gratification. Our kids live in this world where anything they want is at their fingertips. They hardly have to wait for anything. We've been talking a lot with our kids just about patience. Like the things in life that we want to have, they 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 take time and they take consistent daily efforts. And I love that music is one of the best tools that I have in the world to reinforce that. So number one, trying to just give parents constant education, whether it be through our podcast, our blog, our Instagram, um, our parent-teacher conferences, we're always trying to provide that education. But then secondly, is trying to ha- trying to bolster up the parents when they do feel we call it parent fatigue. The kids are going to ask to quit. We already know that, you know, and so we try to we try to just like bolster them up and help them through that fatigue. We have some things in place with the piano place like at the beginning of lessons, like when they sign up initially, they come in and they fill out a basically it's like a statement of what would you call it, a contract? where the parent, the teacher, and the student all sign it. And it basically is my music commitment. And within that commitment, the kids are kind of marrying their goals with their parents' goals with their teacher's expectations. And we encourage them to put that on the wall so that when the parent's tired, we remember why we're doing it. When the student's asking to quit, we remember why we're doing it. And it's just one of those things that if you have your kids in music lessons from the time that they're young until the time they leave your home, they will become proficient in an instrument. Um, and so for us and for our kids, that is the standard. It's a privilege that they have when they live in our home to be able to learn an instrument. And with that privilege, there's little expectations that we have of them. And then we try to cater to them along the way. But um, hopefully that answered your question kind of about how we try to just get the parents to stay in it because it's worth it. I love that. I think you're so right. Commitments and making promises to yourself and others and then being held accountable to those things when you when you don't feel like it, right? That's why, you know, if I'm starting like a workout regime, if I do it with somebody else, it's like, oh, I have somebody else holding me accountable so much easier because our willpower will fail us, right? Um, and so I love that you are opting for that ahead of time. I don't think I've ever seen or heard in all the, like I said, all of the piano teachers I worked with, my kids have worked with, that I've ever had any of them go into it going, there's going to get a time where you want to give up. Let's talk about what we are going to do when that happens, because it's not if. Um, it's really, really wise, you guys. The other the other thing I'm, um, I'm wondering is, do you let the kids play music they actually love? Because that was my biggest hack. I learned how to play guitar. I actually taught myself. But if I had done, you know, traditional you know, music theory and just learned like little, you know, like chopsticks type 
music, you know, it wouldn't have really moved me. I wanted to play the pop music from my generation, the music I was listening to and liking. And so I wanted to listen to, I wanted to learn how to play Ben Harper or Jack Johnson or whatever. And by picking music yeah. for myself that I actually was excited to learn about, and it's like, you know, we pre, I was learning this pre like YouTube and all that, right? But just by finding people who knew how to play that and learning that song, it made me fall in love with guitar playing. And once you can do that a little bit, you build confidence. Do you guys kind of focus on the same thing? Let let students dictate what kind of music they want to learn and play and the music they are actually interested in? You get a lot of Swifty music, um, you know? Absolutely. That's what, one thing it was- Swifty room. We have a Taylor Swift At every location. <laughs> one thing I love about our offering at the piano place. Um, so like when I was a teacher, I knew, like I wasn't a, I was a really good roof pianist because I know how chords work and I know how to improv off of chords. I don't necessarily know how to help a student that wants classical training. And so I love our offering at the piano place now because we can truly take a call into our customer care enrollment team center and say, tell us what your child's interests are, you know? If they love Taylor Swift, let's do guitar. But if you don't want guitar, we also have ukulele, we have piano, we have voice, we have all these different offerings. And then even so much as the teacher. Well, we have a teacher that's really great at this or at this or at this strength. And so that's part of it. But yes, absolutely. They come in and we have different periods of time through the year where we're setting goals and we're evaluating based on other goals. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we try to do. And I'd love to have Brady speak to this, but Parents quit because they don't think their kids are progressing when in all reality, it's hard and it's been like just hard in general to track progress in music. Like how, you know, oh, you passed off a book. That's great. But are we really learning anything? And so um, you should talk about the app and kind of what we're doing with that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we've tried to do, I think from the beginning, you know, I'm actually not a musician at all. I'm, I'm probably like a lot of people. I quit after like two months, if that. <laughs> um and it just wasn't my thing. And I regret it, on, especially in this job, every single day. Because um, I feel like every person I talk to is like, who did you study with? And I'm like, uh, I didn't study with anyone. <laughs> so yeah, our customer experience has always been kind of central to everything we do. And and what's unique for us, I think, is our customer is actually the parent. Uh, the student is actually our, our raw talent and our product that we're kind of refining. And so for us, every time we can maximize those interactions with the customers is priority one for us. We want to make sure that we make that a special moment. Um, and so we try to do it with what Sarah said from when they walk in the door the first day, we have that teacher, parent, student contract. Um, we have, we try to theme our studio. So every single room is themed after different artists, Beatles, Taylor Swift. Um, what else we got? Adele. So they're fun, these fun, inspiring rooms. But then I think something that we've gone even farther with is we, we work to develop an app that uh, tracks the progress of our students. Um, because yeah, it's like what Sarah was saying, you might, you'll be in piano lessons for six weeks and you've learned a ton, right? But all that dexterity and all of those things that isn't quite there all the way yet to play a full song or right to play a Beethoven sonata or anything. It's not ready yet, but there's been so much progress and so much to celebrate along the way. And that's what the students need is they need to have that that encouragement and for the parents to be able to see that. So our app basically tracks that progress, our, our teachers market, and then it's sent um, to the parent and it tells them, hey, this this is this is happening. You know, your students progressing. They're doing really well along this. 
So when they get, you know, when the student's back at home and they're practicing, it's something that the parent and the student can celebrate together. That is so cool. What's the app called? Is it the Piano Place app? Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> it's just once you're in our program, you get access to um, the app and the data. And to be honest, like, so we've, I've, I've long teased Brady and been like, I wish so bad that we were starting like a pest control company because there are so many models for us to take inspiration from, to, to replicate, you know, or whatever. We feel like we've been hacking in the woods, trailblazing this new path that has not been traditionally a music like you don't see studios like this very often and so we we've had to take a lot of inspiration from other concepts like we both have been members of orange theory gym for years and so i love that at the end of my workout i get an, a progress report how many calories did i burn what when was i in my orange zone and i have this email sitting there i'm like i think if parents could get an email and show them what the teacher was proud of them for that week, what we can work on that week, and also what progress was made towards their ultimate goals. Um, I feel like that's a crucial part in parents being able to stay in and to be able to keep excited about it all. Oh, that is so cool. I mean, I also, it's so fun to innovate though, right? Like you're in a sector so where where people haven't been innovating very much and you're coming up with new tools and, and um Sometimes the most disruptive businesses are the ones that take something that everyone takes for granted. Like my my friend Holly Alden, she helped found Stance Socks and also Skull Candy, and it was like to make hardware for your you know headphones and socks cool. You know, like she was an investor and like yeah. part of part of those both those companies and just the idea that socks who made socks sexy and cool and like a surf skate yeah. snowboarding like lifestyle brand. You know what I mean? And and it's like a lot of times common sense isn't common practice. Like there's piano and, and music lessons could totally be disrupted and make it way cooler, way more of a tribe and a community and a brand identity. And you guys are doing that. So it's really fun. Tell me a little bit about um, something that came to mind for me. And this is like the philanthropic heart in me. But like, what do you, what have you guys done as a program? Or do you have any thoughts around families that can't afford music lessons? Because that's a big issue that there's disparity there about such a luxury and a privilege, you know, and, and I have, uh, this amazing friends, my friend, my, my best friends, Gina and Phil Zahn, they live in Oregon and their little boy crew is without exaggeration, an actual prodigy. So he's eight years old and he just started piano for the first time. They have a keyboard. They don't even own a piano, their family, you know, a little keyboard. And, um, he started playing piano and in three months he was playing Jan Tiersen, Amelie, like scores, you know, from memory. And he's eight and like without any sheet music. And now he's playing concert level. I mean, he out, he surpassed his piano teacher's skill set in two months. Like he was better than That's his piano teacher. So he's an actual prodigy. And, yes. and, you know, we've actually like, a, you know, and people around him are actually like patrons trying to support his music career. Like, I wish I had the money to buy him a grand piano in their house, you know, like I, so we've been like sponsoring and paying for lessons to help because um, we just really want to support him. And, you know, I think all the time, like how many little prodigies and crews are there out there that can't get access? Absolutely. I, it's something that I'm so passionate about. And I, I, so right now, because I we have all these little kids, I've kind of taken a step back as Brady's taken a step in. And I've told Brady for a long time that when I am able to come back in, that is what I want to to do full force. Um, we do little projects right now. Every Christmas, we've um, 
we've given away a piano to a family in need that normally wouldn't have the like availability to have a piano in their home. And that's been really special. And with that, we've given away, you know, several months up to a year of free lessons so that that child or a child can have that option or that opportunity. And I think that as we move forward, we've talked a lot about starting like a scholarship where the piano place will sponsor kids through the program. And I think that that is something that we are, we've been talking about and we really, really have a strong desire to do is for be, for kids to be able to apply and be accepted into a scholarship program where we help fund their education. I would one day love to go build schools and studios in places that that um, might not be able to otherwise sustain a studio like that, yeah. but to be able to fund the studio just because the music is needed. And, and so that's something that you know, we've, we've been in this really bootstrapping phase where every dollar we're putting back in, we're putting back in, we're putting back in. And our year for, or our goal for 2024 is, is to finally start putting some of these systems in place with what we've built. And so we're looking forward, we're looking forward to that. And, and just to be able to really get the depth of the actual program to its, I don't know. So I love it, Sarah. Like, it doesn't surprise me at all that you would care about that. Like, I just kind of assumed I'm like, Sarah's going to care about this for sure. And so I felt okay bringing it up. Like, if you guys were like, what are you talking about? We've never even thought of that. I knew that it would be something on your mind and heart. I'll give you some unsolicited advice. There's a lot of value in um, uh, having other parents contribute to. The community loves to give. It's actually quite a privilege to give, you know? And I would say, the best way is if you can make it real in a real person. It's my best friend's son, right? And so it's like, I'm going to yeah. contribute to his panel lessons because of who they mean and who they are to me. And I love this boy and we have a relationship. So I'm wondering if, you know, whatever you do in your program, if there's family members that, um, if there's some way that, you know, the parents of these kids who are taking lessons that can afford it can actually interact with some of the kids that you might be like, hey, we're going to give five free lessons to this kid in, in foster care. Um, and yeah. we're asking parents and have them actually interact and meet this child and see their passion. And then, if and then, you know, you do a recital together and then it's like anybody that wants to sponsor, you know, we can all take collectively and we can make this kid. I think if you, if you let them know the person, like think of go, every GoFundMe is so successful because it's actually their shared network. When it's for some, somebody, nobody knows it, 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 it has to be really excellently executed. But if it's just somebody, like I will give all the time to GoFundMe's of someone I've never met just because it's somebody you guys care about. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. So- I, I think there's there's so much truth to that. Like we, just one year, we had a specific family we knew we were donating our piano to. And I was so humbled by the amount of donations that came in from our little community of parents saying we would love to donate three months worth of lessons for that family so that they can participate. And it's really, it's really touching. I think, I don't know, my wheels are turning right now. I'm like, can you think of all the things that we got to? <laughs> and he's usually the one that's like, okay, baby steps. We can get there. We can get there. So I, I'm usually the dreamer that's like, let's call Hugh Jack and get him in here. Like, <laughs> And we, he's always helping me, but we had, I saw you had Rachel Platten at your last event and she has been so kind to give us a shout out before. She's incredible. Oh, she is the cutest thing. I love her. She's such a delay. I, that's so cool. She gave you a shout out. She, um, I was going to say 
Sophie's Place. Are you guys familiar with Sophie's Place, the nonprofit? We are. Yes. We've done some fundraisers together. It's been a lot oh, of fun. Incredible. Okay. So the Bartons are dear friends of mine. Anne Marie's, you know, part of our capita cool, cool, cool well, chicks right. club, you know, our good old girls club. And yeah. she's just um, such a delight. I was thinking that'd be so fun as your students get more fast to go and actually volunteer there too. You could have like, you know, uh, do so many volunteer yes. hours and it unlocks a free lesson for a kid for a kid or something, you know, so you could actually encourage people giving with their time and their money. Sophie and I are the same age. So I've always been really um, impacted by her story. And when we were towards the beginning, we did a benefit concert in her honor for Sophie's place where we just had a lot of our teachers share a song and kind of the why behind it, like what music means to them. It was so powerful. We were able to have to have them come and it was it was so good. I, I love your ideas. I'm going to pick your brain after because this is where I get really energized is the giving back and the bigger why behind it all. And so grateful to have a Brady on my team because you can't have a business if you're not keeping eyes on numbers and on sales and on things like that. But the the blend of the both, it can be magic, you know. Yeah. To yeah. Have, and you have actually been a student most of your life as a, as a music artist. Like you, the fun part about music, artists is they never stop being students. They always continue to learn and grow. And so it's a craft that is constantly going to the next level. So I just think that's really cool because you'll never lose the feedback loop of what it's like to be a student, right? Because you actually kind of are an ongoing one. And I love that. Um, why don't you share a little bit with our listeners in case they don't know what the, what Sophie's Place is just for, I just realized we're not, you know, we made reference to an organization maybe um, and share a little about what you, yeah, you guys have done there. So Sophie Rose Barton, she, um, her sister, Tessa, they would gig a lot. She grew up as a musician and um, we were the same age. I remember she tragically passed away very suddenly and she was such an amazing musician. And so her parents have started a foundation in her honor. Um, and to my knowledge, they go and they build music centers. Basically, it's like a healing tool, a healing resource for um I believe it's for patients, chi- children's mm-hmm. cancer centers. Is that correct? It's really pediatric, yeah, pediatric yeah. hospitals all over the country. It's a music therapy it's, room. Yeah. Music therapy. That's yeah. the word. And it's just these beautiful centers where kids can go and kind of get their mind off things and they can work with musicians and they can be healed and inspired. And, oh, that's just the beauty of music is it takes you to that place where you, you can kind of let go of certain things. It's how you heal. It's how you emotionally process. I don't know. I love it all, but their mission is amazing. Oh, Sarah, thank you. And Brady, thank you so much for supporting them. It means so much to me. We were at one of our Capita events and my darling friend, Kat Eddington, who lost her little girl, um, who was chronically ill. Um, she was born with a lot of disabilities and anomalies that put them in the hospital often. And she was crying, hugging Anne-Marie Barton, Sophie's mom, because they made this connection that she'd spent many hours in at Sophie's place. They both oh, well, lost their daughters. And so they were sitting there hugging each other and I just started crying. I mean, it was so beautiful. But it's always so exquisite to me to see when someone takes something like a tragedy or a heartache and turns it into something, you know, beautiful and amazing. So maybe actually this is a good segue into asking you guys, you know, we've been talking about your meteoric success and how this has gone well. And even in the face of something like COVID, how you had all this a positive outcome and you guys made it through, but can you share any failures or any parts that were like, you know, you have your hand, your head in your hand and you're like, why are we doing this? This is so hard and terrible or something that maybe has been painful. Maybe you guys have had a 
a perfect walk, but I'm guessing most entrepreneurs, it's such a high contact sport that most people have painful, death-defying stories on their entrepreneurial journey that, you know, on the hero's journey of, of winning that um, maybe you guys can share something because I think it's good for people to know and hear and relate to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can only see the scars. No, <laughs> I mean, I it's just entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. I remember starting the business and I remember my dad just saying to me, like, can you handle this? Do you want this? You know, and being like, what? You know, like, how hard could it be? But I, I just read an, a thing on Instagram that was like, if you're an entrepreneur, you will, you know, be criticized, you'll be stolen from, you will be sued, you will be all these things. And I think when it comes down to it, we've walked through a lot of those experiences. Uh, the hardest parts for me has just been, you know, in business, inevitably, you're going to run into hiccups in relationships. It's really hard for me. I am, I think maybe a pleaser, a people pleaser. I want everyone to like me and I like everyone. And so any of those little hiccups where you have to draw a line in the sand or you have to maybe um, take a stance one way or the other, having to let go of an employee, any of those circumstances for us have been really challenging and really heart wrenching for us. Um, I'm trying to think working together as spouse, like as a married couple has been one of those things that at times I would have maybe considered to be failing that we weren't really doing very well. Yes. Um, yes. I love that vulnerability. To... Thank you. Because people oh, need to this real stuff. Yeah. No, I grew up with a, a life coach as a dad, so I'm not afraid to get vulnerable. Um, but I, I feel like, I feel like that's honestly probably for us been one of the biggest hurdles that we've faced is just trying to find a dynamic that works between the two of us that's healthy that's fulfilling um would you agree yeah it's it's probably that's understating it we could go really really deep there um and then i don't know i think you were mentioning earlier what you thought to be your biggest failure i like i liked what you said you should say it no yeah i think for me yeah one thing that i feel that probably uh, there's few regrets I have in life at all, but something I wish I would have done sooner is get all in, um, you know, piano place. with piano yeah. place. I think we both were, you know, I was busy with my real estate career and Sarah kind of was picking up the slack at home. You know, we had, we had kids at home. And so we were both stretched super thin when it came to piano place. We were both, you know, giving as much as we could during the part-time hours that we could. And it seemed like instantly once we kind of just made that switch where I was like, okay, I think I'm at a point where I can jump all in to kind of that COVID time. Everything just improved in our life a lot. Um, you know, and I, I think that was something I just, it's funny. I think I had a little bit of, uh, I, I was just scared to, to jump all in into music lessons. Um, you know, and saying that I would, you know, I, I, I had so much pride in saying I, I work in, you know, the commercial real estate industry. People would always, it seemed like saying that was so much sexier than saying, uh, I own a music school <laughs> and I don't know why I just always felt that way. And, and truly that wasn't the case at all. And, um, you know, and so once I made that decision for myself, it changed, I felt like my life, it also helped Sarah a lot, um, with things that she was doing too. And so that's, that's probably one of the failures. And, and I think once we were able to fix that, it definitely fixed a lot of, things. not everything, but a lot oh, of things. Brady, I love that you shared that, that you were like, it just didn't feel sexy, you know, because 
really like a lot of that. It's funny because actually it depends on who you're talking to. Because as an entrepreneur, I'm like, swim and you have a booming, successful business you created that's creating tons of market and in the marketplace and helping art, you know, kids be artists and music artists. And I mean, like I, as a creative and a person that loves music so much, I'm just like, oh, I think it's way sexier what you're doing with the piano plays. But but it's true. It depends on your paradigm, right? And where we come from and like what rooms and circles we're in. I can totally understand why in kind of a, a meritocracy like Utah or a pretty performative culture, how it's like saying, hey, I teach kids piano sounds, you know, less fulfilling or dynamic. And and yet um, I was just actually listening to, so Mike Rowe, a friend of mine was the executive producer of Mike Rowe's uh, shows. He did this thing, this amazing show called returning the favor. My dear, darling friend, um, Sarah was the producer and she was the talent on the show, really good friends with Mike. And I was watching um, like an interview with her and Mike and she was just saying that the thing about, he, he did all the dirty jobs and deadliest catch, you know, uh, reality shows, live unscripted stuff. And he was talking about how so many jobs that people just undervalue that are actually the most important jobs that we, like if, if these people went away, we game over, you know, like if plumbers all stopped working, we'd be in huge trouble electricians guys they clean out septic tanks like where would we be you know and he was just talking about how they're in on this joke because everybody else takes them for granted and yet they know the value they create in the world like when you're in it and you realize you can make a ton of money you have total job security you're creating tons of value for people really humble people go and do that work so the kind of human beings have usually an aperture for being happier well-rounded giving humble people which is just like more fun to be with than ego-driven people that, that some of the sexier vocations maybe, you know, kind of attract. And so she, he was just saying how um, they're in on this inside joke that nobody realizes that actually the jobs that seem kind of whatever are actually the most fulfilling, have the most earning potential. And, yeah. um, you know, people, to have parents like crying and telling you what a difference it's made and this music's unlocked people, the music therapy, like how the artist and everyone that gets unlocked changes people's entire countenance in life, right? It's it, it yeah. it's really um, stunning to me um, to to have you um, admit that because I think those are conversations we have to have as a society. And if any, if COVID taught us anything, that was it. Like we started appreciating teachers and first responders and bus drivers and you know the guys who deliver our groceries. Like for the first time, we were like, oh my gosh, everything runs um, because of you guys. You know, so. I love that you said that. And Sarah, thank you for also saying that it's hard. I've worked with my husband, Jeff, for, for a long time, but um, we had so many dynamics that were amazing and fun, the freedom of like yeah. making your own schedule and getting to be best friends and do things together and have the highs and the lows of being in on it. I didn't have to come home and explain all this context, but I didn't want to talk about something that I'm exhausted about. We were just in it together. But there's hard stuff, like personality differences, hard, yeah. you know, um, our ego show up, our insecurities. I mean, do you kind of feel like in your guys' dynamic, one of you, because you're the founder, Sarah, is one of you more of the boss? It sounds like you've switched some of those roles and like, and then balancing kids at home, like that's so hard, you know? Tell, tell us a little bit about what you've learned about running a business as a couple and a woman as an entrepreneur and a businesswoman who's wearing all these hats, because that's a big thing. People don't get, men never get asked, how do you balance it all? But yet women yeah. all get asked that, which is really annoying. <laughs> it's been it, it has been a journey for sure that I, I think I grew up, I grew up feeling like I would be a working woman. Like I wanted to be a news anchor. I wanted to be a PR, you know, publicist in New York. And I had some opportunities 
right out of college that that kind of made that a reality for me. And I, um, we got into this business and I have the type of personality though that I've, I've got to kind of be all in somewhere. And I, for a long time, was feeling my heart literally ripped in two, wanting to just go all in on this business, but having these babies that need me. And I was really having a hard time um, divvying out my time. You know, we, I felt like had lost our quality of life because we had no clean clothes. We were eating out every night. Like there was no balance here at the house because we were both so strung out. And so I had to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of humbling as to where I was needed in my life. And, um, but it, and for a while was like fighting tooth and nail, like, no, I am going to be the boss of this company. And I had a really special experience that I realized that my, my calling right now is to be with our kids. And, and so letting go of that and kind of the pride that comes with it. For a long time, I felt so much of the identity of the business is tied to my name. People will come up to me and ask me questions or, you know, maybe share something that they did or didn't like about their experience at the piano place. But it's always to me, it hasn't been to him. So that's when he wasn't all in. It was really hard for me to to feel like we were shouldering that together because he was kind of working more, but I was the face and I felt I felt really torn by that. And so we over the last couple of years, I feel like we've struck a really good balance where we've been able to come back into, I'm feeling fulfilled. I'm not feeling resentful. I'm at home with our kids right now. Um, and I can still chat with you. And I, I do social, I keep my foot in the door. You know, I love doing little projects like we mentioned, like of giving back or community events, but, but it's been something where there's got to be a give and take. And like you said, your insecurities are going to come out and mine have come out to, you know, really bad in some moments where I've just felt like I I was inadequate. I couldn't be the CEO that this company needed. And it's it's ultimately become a choice. My family needs me at this time. And we've got this amazing CEO. I'm grateful for Brady that he can step up and run it. And so wow. anyway, I hope that kind of answers your question, but I it's tricky. You. We're all learning. Like none of us have it figured out. We're every day we're you know, he'll come home and he'll tell me something from work and I'll get like really fired up about it. And I, he'll just be like, and we have to like set those boundaries again and fall back into, okay, I'm content here. You're content there. It's interesting. Well, I'm glad you can really. Oh, Sarah, you talk so articulately. Oh, go ahead, Brady. I was just gonna say you're so articulate about all this. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, if I can add to that too, it's like, it's funny you, when we worked together so much, it was, it's exactly what Sarah was saying. We kind of, you, your relationship kind of starts to get recentered, where it's not about what it was before. You're just talking about your business all the time, and um, I think we got in a trap a lot of times where our business was everything. You know, it was everything that we shared together, and that wasn't healthy either. And so, um, it is. I, I think there's a lot of couples that go through those same struggles. Where, you know, you, you come home, that's all you talk about. You know, there's nothing else. You're, you're not dating anymore. You're not having fun anymore. It's all about, you're just both workaholics and you just talk about it all day. And so, you know, that, that, that's what's been awesome over the past few years is I think we've really, like Sarah said, we've really found that balance. Sarah is built and still contributes a ton to our business. And um, it's still been, I think we've had a good balance. And I hope that Sarah one day, you know, comes back on full time and we can give it another go. <laughs> together that way. So it'd be fun. 
You guys are so beautiful. You're such a beautiful couple. You're accomplishing so much. Your story is so amazing. Thank you for sharing some of those um, vulnerable moments and painful sides of it and the difficulties and the wrestles. It, you, you, you speak so articulately about it. And for those who don't know, Sarah's um, father is Matt Townsend. And he's, um, a, again, a really, I mean, prolific and famous um, coach and therapist and marriage counselor. I bet you guys have learned so much through osmosis and um, and learning from him how to operate as a couple and prioritizing. I know I do. I have all the the Matt Townsend hacks that I've been using in my marriage. So what a gift. And um, thank you so much, you guys, for all you're doing for the community. And you, I just wish you the most amazing continued success. How can people, maybe what's the last thing you want to share as far as like how they can learn more, get involved, be a part of it? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking we have listeners um, all over the country, not just what we predominantly is, is a Utah audience, but you know, do you think you'll ever have, you know, stuff outside of Utah or even remote that people can get involved in or utilize any of your tools in the future? Yeah. In the past year, we've expanded outside of Utah now. So we, we have uh, locations in Idaho, uh, Texas, and Georgia right now um, called The Piano Place. They're different brands, but they're all managed by our, we have, we have a parent company now called One Music Schools. So Piano Place is one of our main brands, and then we have multiple other brands of music schools that we run in different parts of the country. So um, we'd be happy. You know, anybody that wants to take lessons, obviously come. Um, we're always hiring amazing teachers, amazing instructors. Um, so that's always a big part. And then we just love a, a big part of everything we do is we just love being involved in local communities. And so um, if there's any way that we can be involved in any charitable organization or you know any events that happen. We school love hunters. to do that. Yeah, yeah, we're we're judges that battle the bands for like every high school that we're at. So <laughs> we love things like that and giving back and, and building up community. Along with us on our Instagram at The Piano Place. And we we keep people updated through that. Um, I have my Instagram where I try to post some parenting tips, like how do you get kids to do the things that we want them to do? Um, through music. Through music, yeah. yeah. Yes. So anyway, those are just at the piano place. And anyway, we would love to connect with people that way. But just most importantly, just music is so important. It's something that if we're not intentional about it, it can go away with all this technology. I just saw that they brought new um, pianos into the schools and they are all digital. So there's really no need for like a kid to play a hymn in seminary or a kid to play the Star Spangled Banner at an assembly because they have the ability to just do it electronically. And so we need to help our kids find opportunities to give back in their talent. It's way more for for them than it is for anyone else. I just was cleaning out a binder just right before we started. And I had over 15 funeral programs in that binder of funerals that I've been able to play at, that I've been able to be in the sacred moments playing the piano while they've closed caskets for friends and loved ones like the music changes us we need it and our kids need it they need the refuge they need the safe space to to figure out who they are and so as parents we just have got to make sure that we're providing those opportunities when and all possible oh sarah and brady thank you guys so much for coming on the show thank you you guys are we so appreciate it. we love you yes. <laughs> thank so you so much for having us you're awesome Lindsay. thanks do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, 
estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitalfinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.